0: Let me uh, look at my notes again. Here we go. My name's Mark Urquijo, and I had the privilege of being interviewed by artist Mix Burroughs not all that long ago. And I asked him if anyone ever interviewed him. Much to my surprise, it doesn't seem to be so. So here we go. Morning, Mix. Hi, Mark. Thank you for this. <laughs> I'm speaking with Miggs Burroughs this morning. It's May 2020 and the world is upside down so we decided to flip it over one more time one more way. Miggs usually does the interviewing here. He's interviewed countless numbers of people. I thought it's time someone interview him. Miggs, what an interesting name. I hadn't heard it before <laughs> I met him. Before we started, I asked Siri how many people are named Miggs? And the first answer that came up, and I assume it's the most often given, mm. let me read it to you because it's special. Miggs, better known as Multiple Miggs, was a patient at the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. <laughs> he occupied the cell next to Dr. Hannibal Lecter.
1: Yep.
0: Please tell us how you got your name, because I'm sure it had nothing to do with Silence of the Lamps.
1: That's funny. Uh No, but I actually wrote to uh, the author, I think it's Thomas Harris, um, because I was in the movie theater when I saw Silence of the Lambs. And then people, you know, some people knew I wasn't with anyone, but people saw me come in and whatnot. And there was a gasp when they introduced multiple Migs, when multiple Migs was there doing horrible things to Clarice. Um, And I wrote to Thomas Harris and I mentioned, you know, my name. And I said, just curious. Were, and he's anyway, it was an army buddy of his named Miggs. So there was somebody before me named Miggs, but uh, mine. I was uh, I was born in New Jersey, and my parents apparently hadn't given it much, given a name, much thought. And a friend of theirs visited. Um, he worked in New Orleans at a newspaper called the Times Picayune, which I think may be on the internet only now. But it was New Orleans' biggest, best paper. And he came to visit the hospital in New Jersey and he said, Oh, what's his name? And my parents said, Well, we hadn't thought of anything yet, and uh, they won't let us leave the hospital until we do. And he said, Well, my, my editor at the New Orleans Times Picayune is named Miggs, and I think that's a great name. Why don't you name him Miggs? So, I anyway, it took Probably will be 50 years before I ever decided to actually track down that story to see if it was even real. Um, so I called the, the Times-Picayune newspaper and the publisher or the editor at the time at then. And he said, well, let me put you on to the our law, lo- our oldest, longest empl- uh, employee. And it was a guy that was actually there in 1946. And. Um, it turns out the guy's name, the editor's name, was Meggs, M-E-I-G-S, and they didn't know. They just heard Meggs and spelled it M-I-G-G-S. So that's the very long-winded explanation. But,
0: well, it, it's but you know, it's a curious enough name that I'm glad you at least gave us some background because I didn't want to have to leave it with Silence over lamps.
1: <laughs> yeah, please. I know, and and it, and it wouldn't be so bad except he did such grotesque things to, to Clarice. <laughs> well, we can-
0: We can skip over the
1: details
0: there. But listen, I understand your father was an illustrator. And I assume somehow that got you involved in art. How did you get involved in art?
1: We were exposed to art somewhat. He worked in his studio um, in the house, but it was blocked off with shutter doors. And we were never allowed to... Once he went into that room and closed those shutters, we were not allowed to look or knock or bother him because he had deadlines and he was a commercial illustrator who did men's fashions for BVD and Van Heusen and McGregor and all the brands of the time Um, and pipes, K Woody pipes and whatnot. Once in a great while, you know, he would let us in if he was particularly proud of a piece, we would look at it. We never got to see it being anything being painted, nothing in progress. We never got an art lesson, Um, but there was art in our house all over our house and he bartered like I do now with my artist friends. So there was work from some, I didn't, we didn't know at the time, very famous artists and illustrators all over our house. And we just, that's, we were just exposed to art and he would, he would talk about art, you know, at the dinner table and in, in general terms, which I think soaked in a lot later. And I learned to appreciate what I took, picked up from him a lot later.
0: So was he your mentor in a way or was did you have other
1: other No. Stuff? No, I mean not. you know I'm not to sound <laughs> mean. No, he was not a mentor. He did not encourage my brother neither my brother or I uh to be artists. He was not uh did not support he was very harsh actually, more so with my brother. He would my brother tried to draw something, he would just say that's terrible. I mean, he wouldn't I, you know, I mean, he was a he, <laughs> He was a wonderful person in other ways, and he was very, you know, he supported the family by being an artist, a working artist, and it was hard work. And I think he had a great work ethic, which came across. It didn't matter if he had to work till four in the morning to deliver a job that he promised for 10 the next, 10 morning, the next day, he would do it. I mean, whatever it took to make, uh, to to fulfill his obligations. And that was important. He was honest, he was, had a lot of integrity. People he worked with respected him, admired him, and all that. So maybe that was something that that was his big gift to us, I guess. But art-wise, no. And I don't. And I'm not an illustrator, and I'm not a painter, and neither is my brother. I mean, we do digital art and other kind of things. But
0: well, did would you would you have a mentor in in your early youth anywhere <laughs> as a, as being becoming an artist?
1: <clears throat> Probably. Um, my first college roommate, because I had never done art at all. I mean, you know, drawings and art class at school, but I had a roommate in college, my first roommate, uh, and he was doing, uh, well, well, first of all, Andy Warhol was an alum, an alumnus of Carnegie Tech, where I went 15 years before me, but people were still talking about him and his work was, up in the arts department. But my roommate, anyway, was very, uh, he was painting pop art, I'd, you know, not similar to Andy Warhol, but and I just saw like the impact it had, and I started painting, I really was copying him. I mean, he didn't mind, I mean, we we're both sort of just doing our thing. Uh, I was studying scene design, he was studying industrial design, so neither of us were in the art department really.
0: Yeah, so. A- hmm. Is it fair to say that, that your interest in becoming an artist didn't really blossom until college?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the very first piece of art I did was what I would call, uh, and I was doing pop art, uh, sort of emulating my roommate. And um, he was doing big pictures of Elvis. And I was just stunned by the, I had never been close up to an artist that, that did, and work. You know that had such impact, and 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 appreciating the impact that art could have, and and what he could, as my roommate could communicate, uh, in in very few colors and very few lines, doing this poster art. We were he and I were doing Shepherd Fairy before Shepherd Fairy was born, and I can I looked at a piece I did and uh, way back then, and it's and again I can't accuse Shepherd Fairy of anything because he wasn't born when I did this, but. Uh, that the style is coming back this kind of postery liquidy sh- light and shadow contoury poster art is, is well you
0: say you you don't think of yourself as an illustrator, but I remember you telling me about uh the first United States stamp that you designed as an illustration uh, and and you mentioned the famous illustrator Johannes that had hmm. something to do with it can can you elaborate on that, since you're not an illustrator?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I wouldn't, and I still wouldn't call it illustration because it was. If you look at the stamp, it's a, a, a eight cent prevent drug abuse stamp, um, and that's, I guess, all you need to do to Google it. or stamp collectors will know, and it's just two colors. It's, it's three colors: black and two shades of blue, and um, it was actually done with. And I never. It's the first and only time I've ever used cutout paper. But uh, st- anyway, I, I had an exhibit downtown it's funny how you know how you and i and we're we're all doing these pop-up exhibits well way back in 1970 uh my brother and i and my my father knew a a landlord downtown who said i have this vacant building this vacant storefront and it's on it was on the post road and um there's a bridal shop in there now it's next to the at&t store um would you want to have an exhibit there? So there's a landlord that approached us in 1970. So my brother and my father and I exhibit, had a family art show and Dehanos came because he was good friends with my father. And uh, my father was president of the Westport Artists Club at the time and Dehanos you know, was part of that. And the whole group, the famous artist school group, my father declined to be join them, join the business, but he was friends with all those famous artists. And Dohanos uh, saw my work, which was again was very postery pop art, uh, shepherd fairy ish, and uh, and I don't know. A few months later, he called up and said, "I." He was the head of the Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee, which it was called, and he was the uh, talent scout, so to speak, for for finding artists uh, to do stamps. He had done fifty of his own because. He could assign them to himself. And uh, he's one of the greatest illustrators of our time. And but they said they needed a young look for this. They wanted a really fresh young look for the stamp because it was about drug abuse. And why, you know, which seemed kind of an odd <laughs> odd observation. But so yeah, I got to do this stamp. So thanks to Stephen Dehanos. And it was done with cut color. He told me, he said, I guess they didn't trust paint uh, because the, the brush strokes might show up or the reflections, so he said you have to use colored paper. So I, I basically cut out, I drew, you know, outlines of the shapes and pasted them together in, with colored paper.
0: Well, being a stamp collector, the most interesting aspect of that to me from a stamp collector's point of view was at the time there was one rule in, in creating stamps for the United States. You couldn't put a living person on the stamp. but Tell me what happened
1: okay, yeah, well, this is it you know i mean I now i'm sort of a proud of it in a way, but uh it was i was ver- it was very uh, i was in very distressed at the time, so i had um because I was the youngest they were promoting it i don't know the, the, the u s postage postal department whatever it was and and locally were promoting i was the youngest person to have, at the time to have ever designed a postage stamp i was twenty four i think um Uh, so they made a big play about that. And then the national, one of the stamp, um, magazines, uh, did a feature length article and they said, Oh, can we take a picture of you and your model? Oh, they asked about it. I said, well, the model was my girlfriend at the time. And Oh, great. Can we take a picture of the two of you? And so they wrote up this whole full page story on, The model and myself and using my girlfriend as a model for the stamp and no one ever told me or warned me I'd never read about it nobody ever gave me the background I never got the the briefing you know the official briefing and it turns out that only uh, you have to have been dead for 10 years uh, a a person celebrity a a notable person scientist whatever uh, politician has to have been dead for 10 years before they can appear on a commemorative postage stamp and my my stamp was a considered a commemorative postage stamp. I don't know what it was commemorating drug abuse, but um, in a weird way. So, yeah, so I, it was a living artist. So I got a letter, an official letter from the postage, postal, what are they called? The postage, U.S. postage department saying, you'll never, you know, it's like that Hollywood thing. You'll never work in this town again. You violated the cardinal law of, postal rules the cardinal anyway and you
0: so in your budding career you got blacklisted for ever being an artist again <laughs> for, right.
1: yeah from ever doing a stamp uh I, I can't believe anybody there now even remembers or it's on file who knows maybe there's just you know like they have in stores of people that have bounced checks my, my maybe my stamps pinned up in the in the postmaster general's office do never give this guy a stamp to do again i don't know i never uh-huh. did get another one but I've got what the one, it, and I got a great story to go with it, so that makes it all the yeah, better.
0: Absolutely. You know, uh, you you recently did a series of portraits that you named "Signs of Compassion." Can Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I was quite taken by that. Yeah.
1: yeah, and thank you for you know you've been really supportive. I mean, and validated it in ways nobody you know people kind of nod and say, "Oh, it's really nice. That's interesting." But you really saw something in it that maybe that I. Even maybe more than I saw in it, um, yeah. There was. Uh, I guess I had struggled with uh, my first. Uh, I don't know where how it came about. I'm I can't. I'm struggling to find w- w- what first inspired it. But the very first, I, I, I wanted to communicate. I, you know, people say art speaks to me. I, maybe this was the impetus. And I said, what if art could really speak to you? I mean. Not, not did, you know, not with a sound chip or anything, but what if art could speak to you? And I'm thinking, how would that be done? Well, sign language speaks to people. So I thought, and I do this lenticular technique where two two or three images can, can be combined in one frame, non no low-tech, no electronics. And when you walk past it, it, it moves, and I said, "This would be amazing. I could have somebody do sign language." and sign a word. So the art would actually speak to you. And the first one I did was be nice. And it's two gestures. You know, one is kind of your hand up to your nose and that's for B and the other one is two sweeping hands, sweeping, like, like you're brushing something off your palm. That's nice. Mm-hmm. And I used a, a, a friend of mine's granddaughter as the model. So she was like 14, looked very kind of had a very blank expression on her face. So that was the first one. And then, uh, I just thought, what if I could take this further and do a whole poem or a story? Anyway, I searched and I found a poem by Emily Dickinson. Um, and people think the poem is called Signs of Compassion. It should be, but it isn't. It's, um, it's called The World Part One or Part One, The World, which is a bizarre, uh, a very bizarre title. But anyway, so it's, and I picked, there, there, there's... In sign language, what I learned, it's not every word. They don't sign every word. They don't sign the word for the or a or an or there's, it's very, it's the most economical language ever. We should all learn from it Um, because there's a lot of words we use that aren't needed to communicate. And so I had, I found 30, I broke the poem down into 30 words or phrases. And um, then I had, uh, I found 30 models of various ages colors sexes uh persuasions whatever and um and had them um sign each poem you know in in a few motions and anyway it's a series the net of all this is it's a series of 30 portraits black and white photographs of people signing the words from this poem anyway that's that's the story
0: well um you know it when i first saw that a piece. Uh, I was frankly overwhelmed by it. It was. It spoke to me, uh, to use the pun, mm. in so many ways uh, about compassion uh, that um, it, it, it was jarring to me, and mm. I, I uh, really enjoyed uh, being taken in by it. It was quite, frankly, quite special for me. Well, but, you know, you, yeah. you, I was going to ask you how you would tell someone, how would you explain your art to someone, for instance, who can't see? What would you, what would you do for that?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, that's interesting. Cause I, um, I used to teach a, con- a, cl- a continuing ed class on, on graphic design and, um, the, the hardest part, and we do have these little critique sessions and the hardest part for st- Students would be to critique or observe another person's art. They would say, oh, that's really nice. I like that. And I go, what does that mean? If you were on the phone with somebody, what does that tell them? It tells them nothing. Oh, he did a really good job, or she, or I, I love the message. So I said, pretend you're on the phone to somebody, a blind person, and how would you describe you know, a painting, even as something as simple as like American Gothic. You got, So it, it became very basic. So yeah, how do you, it's a challenge for even anybody. We tend to use very, you know, general terms like it's really cool. It's colorful. I like it. It's depressing. It's realistic. It's what is that? It means nothing. So I make. I used to make the students say, I don't care what, make one observation. I'd go around the room till they were exhausted. And I'd say, and I'll start. And the first observation was, it's in a square frame. Okay. There we go. Okay. Next one. Oh, they're all black and white. Okay. They're all faces. They're making hand, their hands are moving in different ways. Each time you look at a different way, the hand is in a different position. Um, Their expression is changing or, you know, so I, I guess we're playing that game we break it down into all these different factors. So they are faces and hands that move to communicate um something meaningful and um that's what um emily dickinson uh did you know in her um you know with 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 these these great poems
0: well she's uh she yeah i have to admit too that um Emily Dickinson was the first poet I had read that actually meant something to mm. me. And I read her first, was introduced to her first, I should say, in college. Till then, I didn't know much about her at all. And uh, it was the first time that I saw, to use the word, uh, what poetry could be and what it meant. So this this sort of synthesis of you're using her poem with this visualization of human beings uh, trying to communicate to was, was just so inclusive in so many ways, including all of the variety in terms of inclusiveness of portrait that you used, that it just was overwhelming to me. Yeah. But you know, yeah. you know, what we're starting to talk about here is, is what is, what is, what is your art? What does art mean to you? What is it mm-hmm. that you are spending all your time and energy doing? Because you've, mm-hmm you pretty much were very lucky in that you were able to spend most of your life doing art. What would you say about all that?
1: Yeah, no, I do feel very privileged. I would say most, a lot of what I do is art. I mean, I'm a commercial graphic artist. So, you know, I do assignments for people and there's, you know, stuff that's, you know, I'm I'm not going to, whatever. I, I, you know, I, I try to, I'm, I'm able or I've learned over the time it was more important, the people I was dealing with than, than the job or the paycheck at the end, because, you know, I had some good jobs working for miserable people and I was miserable. So I really changed my whole attitude towards why I'm doing anything and the same, you know, it's really to engage with people that are, I like or, or can that, you know, are generous or whatever. And that I feel inclined to give back that way. But um, yeah, the art, so but and then I have time for my own art I did pop art this pop art stuff for a while and did four time magazine covers with the same style and and then it I thought you know foolishly the phone was gonna just never stop ringing because after you have a stamp and four time magazine covers well you don't even need to advertise I mean you just people just be out there lined up you know knocking at my door which never happened um, and agents weren't even that interested in me because they said, well, you, you've you already got the big, you already won the big uh, gold ring. What, what do you need us for? I mean, it was really strange. So, uh, so I did, you know, I have to admit for a while I did jobs for the money, whatever it was. I mean, I didn't necessarily care about the product or the thing. And then, yeah, now with my own personal art that I really, this lenticular stuff feels really what I was <laughs> meant to do in a, in a, in a,
0: um, it sounds like you you've sort of over the over time it, it naturally evolved into your own personal understanding of what art means to you and why you're doing it and what you're doing with it, um, which is what I see in the signs of compassion I think mm. that that's kind of to me is almost what what do they call it it's your are your, your your masterpiece, I think, yeah. to the well, thank, date okay. at least, you know. Um, but this, you know, now we're really talking about the meat of the matter. You know, we're we're talking about humanity, and and the world is in lockdown over this virus right now. And I've come to think of it as a a great pause is the word that I mm. think to have embraced. Um, how does this affect how you see art?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's affected a lot a way a lot of people do, but I think, you know, there's no t- I mean, I'm all for, look, some people just in this time, it just gives them pleasure to look at a pretty picture, you know, of a, a sunset or a, a photograph or a painting of just something pleasing and calming and serene. Um, for me, you know, I just feel, for me, I don't, I have to, I want to do something that's, I don't know, that's whether anybody else likes it, I'm doing it for me. I, I just some way to, you know, I think many people have said it, especially, you know, with all the, the, the doctors and nurses and frontline people that, you know, what do we really, it, this whole thing has sort of made us really look at why we're all here and it's really, uh, as her poem conveys too, it's to, to to look out and care for the so-called other guy, you know, the other person. And if we do that, we'll be fine. But, you know, so I guess the art, whatever art I do is trying to convey, make people have a conversation with the art that takes them away. Like if you had a conversation at a cocktail party and just said, you know, yeah, I like where that person's head's at. And, you know, maybe I'll be more, you know, I'll try to change my ways or, or be more in tune with the world. And, and, you know, I don't know, it's, it's a, every artist has their own personal motivation, but. Um, I want to make my own space better, I, you know, I just look at us, we're all, you know, we're all, you know, whatever, particles floating around, uh, some are evil, like the coronavirus, but some are good particles, and I think we just want to attach ourselves, uh, if we can, sort of an obligation to uh, be the good virus and attach ourselves to people in a good way.
0: Well, you've, you've managed to do that in a very special way that I've never seen before. And I'm gonna talk about this and I, I hope it doesn't make you terribly uncomfortable because I think there's something to explore here that I find extremely fascinating, interesting, and valuable. Uh, you by, by default almost have, you've become synonymous with, with when you're spoken about as the town's artist. are you aware of that moniker
1: yeah sometimes people i mean i've heard yeah i mean i can't pretend i haven't heard people say it and it's so i mean i don't i can't i don't paint i mean i tried painting once i'm not a very good painter i don't i do one thing now i mean i'm a graphic artist i'm an okay graphic artist i there's so many talented incredible painters artists uh S- uh, sculptors out there, so I don't. That just seems to me. It's I. I'm take it. I have to. I have to learn to just accept it and let it splash over me. But you know, I can't be serious about take that seriously. I'm not i ver- I'm not a great artist.
0: Let, let, let Let's Let's If you wouldn't mind, let's explore mm. that for a minute because I want to give you some insight from what I see. Mm. What that What that implies that was so unusual to me. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem to relate necessarily to any particular thing you do in art it seems to be that you have created a feeling about uh, who you are as a person in the town of westport which you spent all your life in and as someone who has spent his time doing only mostly art and it's interesting that all these committees and and uh, different organizations rely on you um, as the how would I say the trusted <laughs> the trusted person in town. It seems like you have crossed every boundary successfully with all kinds of groups of people, and and they uh, they for lack of another way of explaining. This they they call you the town's artist, mm. and, and I found this absolutely fascinating. In that, my understanding of this, when I delved into it from a perspective that uh, trying to understand, is is that you have become respected as a trusted person, and to me that speaks to the highest form of what I would call being an artist. In that. You are held in esteem around town as being a person that can look at all sides of things and be party and part of everything that's going on. And I've never seen something like this happen before. Usually, if everyone falls into a camp of, he's this kind of person, he's that kind right. of person. But you have managed to sort of find a way through it all and it, it, it my mm. what i'm expressing is there a way you're seeing that what, what would you say to that as i say it to you it,
1: I, well it's humbling to you know to hear i i can't you know i can't walk around wearing that i mean i just i thank you and it's it's a it's nice to hear that i'm not you know at the other end of that scale or spectrum of the most you know the most detested person in town but uh no, it's. I think if anything, it it maybe it stems from because it's not that usual. You have it too. It's this, and again, it's what probably the most valuable thing my father conveyed to my brother and I indirectly by by modeling it. You know, not by never taught us really directly anything, but he taught us a lot by being that. Per, you know, is this work ethic and and I I don't know. I don't know why that's so unusual, but you know, there's people that maybe they just don't have it. So people, if they think back, they can't think of a time that I hopefully, I mean, I'm, this is a I shouldn't even say it, you know, that I've, you know, never, uh, kept my promise, never let them down, never, whatever, always delivered on time, the simple business aspect of it. Maybe it, that's, it stems from that. So it's not so much of them looking into my soul and saying, Oh, what a wonderful person he is. It's just, you know, I do the job and, they never there's really nothing to complain about and I do it over if they don't like it Not that I do everything right, but I'm willing to do it over and I usually don't put such a high value on like well, you know, it's an extra Ten dollars because I had to uh, put another stamp on that envelope, you know to send this extra piece to you I don't know. I mean some people just
0: work Miggs, Miggs let me interrupt you for a minute because uh, You're digressing to the the work that you do and, and I was really speaking to the person that you are. What you have managed to do is create trust in such a variety of groups, whether they be different types of political groups, people who subscribe to different politics, to people who subscribe to different ideas, religions, etc. cetera. You have crossed all those boundaries somehow successfully, and by de facto, by default, you have one everyone's trust i've mm. never seen anything like this before there is there doesn't seem to be uh, a place that people when they are thinking about getting something done that then relates to a piece of art being needed or or someone who can be trusted to um, to help discern what has to happen. I, I, I've never seen anything like this in my life. It's mm. it's more than just being an artist. It's more than just doing your work. And I think what you just answered is almost the first question I asked. Was your father a mentor to you? Mm. And I think perhaps that is the mentoring that he was doing. Um, uh, this is what I'm exploring. Yeah. Now, with you, it seems to me that our parents leave an indelible mark in us that is probably the most valuable thing that we are left with when it all is said and done, regardless of what we do for a living but uh, i 've uh, please go on i, I don 't want to, to take over this conversation. I want you to tell me about yeah. what you 're thinking
1: well there isn 't much to in this uh, zoom thing we only have forty three minutes, so we 've got about a few minutes left but um no, I appreciate that. I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. My, my father, unfortunately, was never a one to, uh, hands-on mentor. Like you know, he didn't ever sat us on his knee and and gave us life lessons. But he, he, he was a role model, which I learned to appreciate much too late. I wished I had when he was alive. But, um, but I, anyway, let me read the Emily Dickinson poem because maybe it, it kind of, it, it's really Please, what we should all, uh, my prescription for, um, for, you know, living a, um, a productive, or not a productive, whatever, living a good life. If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. If I can ease one life the aching or cool one pain or help one fainting Robin unto his nest again, I shall not live in vain. So in the most simple, you know, simple way she's conveying this this aspect of compassion and 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 healing and uh, it's as simple as that I mean she puts it in these terms of helping a robin into the nest and it's not you know it's very profound in its simplicity but you know that's um, that's it sounds you know to sound too precious about it but yeah if we can just uh, not have a too much of a selfish agenda and just be here to you know be as you know whatever be that good be that good particle floating around, so uh, people do want to be uh, closer than six feet to you and and uh, do want to inhale that uh, that positive
0: energy well um, I'm sure I could spend hours mm-hmm. chatting with you, but I know we have a limited amount of time here so would is there anything that you want to close with? What would you want to say to everyone who would have the opportunity to hear this. Is there your closing statement, like <laughs> you on a uh, Law and Order? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny.
1: Yeah, we need a courtroom scene now where I'm. Uh, um, no, I mean again, the Emily Dickinson poem was probably the best closer. But uh, in terms of an attitude, no, I I don't I I would never pre- presume to tell anyone how to live their life or do what they do. It's just I. I, I try not to have i you know i don't know an agenda other than just being uh, living in a harmonious trying to live in harmony with the rest of the world in in a positive way and and um doing some good if i can that the while I'm at it you know and doing producing some good artwork not that the artwork is gonna you know the artwork's not gonna Make the virus go away but um, but it, art in good times and bad art, as you know, because you 've done a lot of uh, this great stuff yourself, is to uh, make people think and maybe reevaluate their lives and their agendas and go forward in a in a much more generous way
0: well, um, according to my clock, I think we have a, just a couple of minutes left is there. Not sure how to end this uh, because I don't think there's an end to this conversation. <laughs> just the beginning. Uh, we've just sort of uh, wet, our, wet our feet in this uh, puddle. Yeah. Uh, I think it's an ocean behind it. Um, yeah. And uh, I hope uh, maybe we could do this again sometime where we could go to the next step somehow, whatever that is. Because I think there's a lot, lot to say and a lot to think about. So thank you very much. I'm uh, thrilled that I was able to uh, have a chat with you and ask you questions that I thought people needed to hear the answers to, I think, uh, especially here in Westport, because I think you are Mr. Westport in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know? So yeah. thanks again.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. the to say yeah it's a little weird talking about yourself because I, do, I don't do it very much and uh, i mean we have we talk and share stuff but um yeah i'm not inclined to do that um uh, pontificate or anything but thank you it's great and yeah we can, can my pleasure. all right